Net miles an hour, chance of snow is 40%. For Thursday, partly sunny with a high near 29. Friday, mostly sunny with a high near 26. And for Saturday, mostly sunny, high near 28. ON Radio. Hi, this is Christian Tribuco, welcoming you to the new Krakow Express Polka Hour. Every Sunday from noon to one, in English and Polish, you'll hear information about local events, interesting people, and a great selection of polkas and traditional favorites. Every Sunday from noon to one, przekażcie wszystkim znajomym i słuchajcie nas każdą niedzielę od 12 do 1. Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. We know that places can be haunted, but can the place itself actually be the ghost? Ben Eno and our Monday Drive Time Show on WON 1240 AM and com. I'm Ben, and asking those really weird questions was my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Well, you'll start getting an earful about those questions in a moment, but first... Oh, so we have to do our weekly paranormal contest, because it's weekly and all that. So last week's question was, what actress who died in 1989 supposedly still haunts her house in Beverly Hills? And well, the answer is... Lucille Ball, and the winner was Muriel Rodriguez of Los Angeles, California. All right, so this week's question is, what is the name of the man in Mexico who, in February 2000, videotaped a thing in the sky that was so weird he didn't want to make it public? So if you can handle that, call us locally at 401-766-1240 or from anywhere in the U.S. at 800-449-1240. If I don't announce a winner during the show and you still think you have a shot, Drop a line to Ben at BehindTheParanormal.com, or me, whatever. Okay, well, the winner will receive a copy of my last book, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny. And for those of you who have been writing and asking where my next one is, I'm working on it. So please be patient a little bit longer. All right, so this is a good time to give our call-in numbers for tonight. Nationally at 800-449-1240, or locally at 401-766-1240. One, two, four, oh. Okay, Dad. Can places actually be ghosts? Well, absolutely, Ben, and it seems uh, that there are cases like these um, that came along early in my paranormal career about 40 years ago when I started, and they got me questioning the traditional idea of what ghosts are. The whole idea that there could be phantoms of solid objects and even buildings and towns made me question the whole idea of ghosts as spirits of the dead, quote-unquote. Now, one of the weirdest cases I ran into early on was the Phantom House, if you will, of Johnson, Vermont. Now, I was fresh off the Bridgeport poltergeist outbreak of November 1974, which we've talked a lot, a lot about on the show here and there, and I thought I'd seen everything. But the following summer, I encountered a house that apparently was itself a ghost. I was visiting friends in rural Vermont that July, and one evening we were lounging out on the porch when a bright red pickup truck kind of uh, bounced up the driveway in a cloud of dust. And this happened to be uh, two surveyors from another part of Vermont who had driven up to meet me. 
and after some talk about my recent case, especially Bridgeport, uh, which had been all over the news that year, one of my friends spoke up. Uh, what are you trying to tell him, him being me? Or are you going to tell him? And I remember one of the men saying, he'll think we're crazy. Now, I guess we get that all the time. People, you know, people yeah. ask if they, you know, we think they're nuts. Well, just look at us. Well, well we're not crazy. They think they are. Well, whatever. Yeah. Well, let, me, let me do this. All right. It seems that the previous summer, the summer of 1973, uh, these two fellows were getting ready to survey some property boundaries for a farmer in the town of Johnson, about 20 miles south of where we were. Uh, they were, quote, walking the bounds, as surveyors say, and they had the U.S. Geological Survey map of the area. They'd just come out of the woods into a field and were walking downhill. Uh, they had this map, uh, which generally has all the main buildings and houses in a particular area on it when the map was made. There was a good-sized old farmhouse just across the field, uh, about a quarter mile away, uh, where there was an old dirt road that marked the end of the property that they were surveying. And the house wasn't on the map. Now, shaking their heads at government inefficiency, the two men finished their walk down the road, which was rutted and very little used. One of them told me, quote, We were in the road about 40 feet from the house now, and it was pretty dilapidated. Old as hell and surrounded by a stone wall. The house didn't look as if it had ever been painted, but you could tell someone lived there. There was smoke coming out of the chimney, even though it was a warm day, and there were clothes on the clothesline. And that's when they saw the man. Quote, He came around a corner of the house with an axe over his shoulder, slim guy with a broad-brimmed hat and a big beard. Couldn't really tell how old he was, unquote. Now, the two uh, surveyors told me that, quote, the whole scene was strange. There were no cars or trucks in the yard, no electrical wires overhead, and no other signs of life. The story went on. I was curious where this guy's property lines were, so I called out to him. He didn't seem to hear me. He just kept going toward the front and then stopped to look at something on the ground. Now, the other surveyor shouted to the man, then started to walk toward the stone wall. Quote, the guy in the yard just stood up and looked around, kind of confused. But he still didn't seem to see us. It was really weird. We figured the guy might be a little deaf, but he might have been a little blind, too, one of the men said to me. Now, the two surveyors said that they started to feel very uncomfortable. Uh, quote, there were still some pretty strange people in these hills, and the guy had an axe, so they decided to retreat. Now, a few days later, the surveying job began. The other man looked at me with a mixture of fear and confusion in his eyes when he said, quote, when we got back to that field and that road, we were shocked to see that the house wasn't even there. There was no sign of it. We didn't make a mistake about where we were. Now, his colleague was at the Johnson Town Hall a few days later and still flummoxed about this event and kind of shaken up, made some inquiries. According to town records, there had been an old house on that road, but it had burned down in 1910. The day after our conversation on the porch, uh, these two fellows took me to the site, and several turns off the main road, we came to a little lane that meandered off toward the nearby mountains. It was so rutted and muddy that we had to plow along with four-wheel drive. There it was, or there it is, one of the men muttered, pointing out the window toward the road's wooded border on the left. Now, the men were quiet as we got out of the truck and approached what I could see were the remains of a stone wall and an almost vanished foundation. My companions still seemed spooked. They didn't even want to come near the place. I noticed that uh, creeping flocks and dwarf conifers, that, which love rocky ground and are common at abandoned home sites in New England, especially where homes are burned down, uh, were very abundant there. I kicked around the place but found nothing unusual. I did notice that a few of the old foundation stones were blackened as if there had been a fire. 
We left just as mystified as we had come. I had no reason to doubt that these two men had told me the story uh, that was accurate and that this was one of the cases that made me doubt that uh, I had even begun to fathom the true depths of the paranormal. Uh, today, of course, I suspect that my acquaintances had been eye-to-eye -eye with an extra-dimensional event, a time slip, if you will, something that is rather common in the multiverse as we talk about it. And I've oh, since wow, that's the first time I've heard you say time slip in a long time. Like, I haven't heard you say that. Is that a pun? No. Okay. Well, kind of, but I don't know. I'm just stating that you haven't said time slip in a really long well, time. Well, you know, it's, it's one of those terms, Ben, that I think at times has some baggage. Yeah. Because it's very often talked about in the paranormal, but I don't think people associate it with multiverse events. No. Words, world, parallel worlds uh, combining and blending, as I think happened in this case and happens in many others. Uh, and, um, of course, I think that's what happened, and I've uh, since collected many other cases. Uh, you haven't had the pleasure yet. You've only been at this for about five years, but I think you run into this uh, at some point. I probably already have. I just don't remember. Probably. Well, it happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, but, but, again, back in 1975, I was learning that there was, again, far more to ghostly phenomena than just ghosts. So, um, you know, I, I really do suspect that these happen very frequently, you know, if you're driving a car, you look in your rearview mirror, if somebody's in back of you, some cowboy right on your tail, all of a sudden they're gone. Oh, yeah, that, ha that happens to me a lot. Oh, like yeah, one, I think it happened, you know where it happens to me? 146. Route 146. Uh, that, that's a road uh, in Rhode Island here, which is, uh, I think it's got a curse on it. <laughs> they're constant accidents and problems, and it's it's in a way very quaint because it's, it's, it's like something out of the 50s. It's got an old drive-in theater on it. How many places have those left? Well, no, I mean, like, towards, like, in that, the Massachusetts part of it, like, when you're going south from, like, Yeah, the whole Worcester. road is weird, Massachusetts or Rhode Island, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and you know, wh wh when you go through your day and you see people on the street or cars on the road, you wonder, gee, you know, are they really there? Same with Route 5. Route Five's pretty weird, too. Like yeah, it is kind of strange. Like, if, like, at a certain time of night, like if, you, if you go down it, like, around, like, 1130-ish, I all every time I drove down it, I always saw the, a dog on the side of the road walking into the road, and then I'd look back in the rearview mirror, and it was gone. Interesting. Oh, yeah, you had mentioned that. I'd forgotten that. Then there was one time I was going to sleep over at my friend's house, and we were driving down Route 5, except we turned off to go down Brown Ave in Johnston, and... What happened? Oh, yeah. It was all, like, really foggy, and the rest of like, we... And, like, the power went out, like, in, like, Smithfield. So this is, like, the Smithfield-Johnston line. Mm -hmm. So the power went out, and there were frogs all over the road. And then there was just this weird, like, dog that was, like, walking, and it looked like it was, like... It just didn't look like it had life. It had, like, its mouth open. It was just, like, staying there, and we were like, ah! <laughs> and like almost went off the road, but it was well. That's bad. amazing. These things, are, but we don't notice it unless we have something like happen to these two surveyors. You know, that the, there's a house there, and all of a sudden it's not. Otherwise, we say that's oh, just one of those things. Or like even your, the frogs. Or like your friend that like drove by the same house like every day before he went to work. Then like the next day it was like a different color. Oh yeah, I was going to mention that. That was uh, well, I, I don't really know the guy. Maybe he wrote into the show uh, a few weeks ago, but we'll mention that later oh, on. As we I thought you actually knew the guy. Uh, no, actually I didn't. But uh, no, but these are uh, all sites we're talking about here in, in Rhode Island where we live, and uh, in western to central Rhode Island is this Route 5, which is uh, very near uh, a number of uh, interesting cases we have had, and that I've had, uh, the, the one uh, we've referred to in, in the book Footsteps in the Attic, uh, which was called uh, In the Dark, was right off that road. That's at uh, the house you were at yesterday, right? 
Uh, yesterday? Friday, I should say. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes that. So, in any case, uh, these things are all tied up, and the whole planet is haunted, quote-unquote. The whole planet is full of weird events, and uh, because these worlds kind of collide and intersect and do all these strange things. Well, anyway, uh, some years later, after this weird thing in Vermont, uh, you know, you don't run into these things every day, these dramatic cases, but they do come up. It was 1996, and I was speaking to a large group of senior citizens in Providence, Rhode Island, and after my talk, a woman came up to me with a story that gave new meaning to the term ghost town. She seemed very nervous as she told me her story, but she'd taken the trouble to be very thorough, and she'd even written down a few notes about this experience. And I remember her saying, I took notes as well, because I'm, I'm an old reporter, uh, newspaper reporter for many, many years, and I always have a notebook and I always have a pen, so I wrote down uh, these notes. Uh, quote, after you hear this, I want to be honest, I want you to be honest, do you think my husband and I are both crazy? That question always comes up, you know. Well, uh, on this coast it does. That's <laughs> True. Now, we not, have a lot not of California. In California. Don't make. But no, I'm making people, fun of them. It's true. People, they are. People are very open over uh, there. The West Coast. But this is New England, and people are still a little bit nervous about this kind of thing. Yeah. Now again, we get it all the time. But anyway, I took notes during the whole conversation, as I say, and here's the story that I heard. Uh, the couple, both retired from a major bank, uh, had been traveling in the American Southwest that summer. Uh, they were avid history and archaeology buffs. So they decided to visit a few ghost towns, uh, or towns that were abandoned after whatever was powering their economy dried up, uh, in case you don't know what the term ghost town uh, actually means. Anyway, maybe um, uh, a mine gave out, or the local farmers gave up on the soil and moved somewhere else. Uh, most of these towns have been abandoned for decades. Uh, we were in Utah, she told me, and we had an old book about ghost towns there. We were headed west on U.S. Route 6. We found the old town of Lindell, which is apparently a ghost town, uh, with no trouble. Uh, there were some fascinating old buildings, and the town still has a few residents and a farm or two. They met a local retiree who told them about the history of the town, or pensioner, as, as our friends in Britain might say. Uh, then they asked him how to get to their next stop, uh, the ghost town of Woodard, uh, less than 20 miles farther down Route 6. Uh, quote, the man gave us kind of a funny look, she told me. You won't find anything there, he said. There's nothing left. But we decided to stop there anyway, as there were bound to be some artifacts. On their way again that afternoon, they turned off the main road toward Woodard. And uh, she said, we were on an old dirt road, and we passed a shack or two and a boarded-up farmhouse. They were surprised to find that they were approaching a good-sized town. There was a neat sign that said, welcome, or some other word, Woodard. But welcome was spelled wrong. W-E-L-K-O-M. And there seemed to be quite a bit of activity in this town. Some ghost town, her husband said, as they drove up the, the unpaved but well-maintained main street between a line of wooden buildings with modern sidewalks and some lovely decorative lampposts. But something was wrong. Quote, there was something funny about all the cars, she told me. They were all a dull silver color and were really boxy with sharp angles. And they didn't make any noise. We figured they might be electric. The people, she said, looked relatively normal, but they themselves were drawing stares as they, as they glided up the street in their red GMC van. They pulled up in front of a small restaurant and got out. People passing by on the sidewalk seemed to be trying not to stare, but a group of preteen boys had no such manners. We were feeling increasingly uncomfortable, she told me, but we had to use the restrooms. 
Now, inside this little restaurant, they found a spacious and homey place with lots of beautifully decorated tables. There were quite a few people, many of whom looked at them curiously, but many of these smiled and nodded in a friendly manner. They caught snatches of conversation. Then it hit them. These people aren't speaking English, my my husband said. Uh, Frankly, I didn't want to stay there, but curiosity got the best of us. They found the restrooms and chose a table. Uh, The real shocks came when they opened the menu. They couldn't understand a word. It looked like German, but it wasn't. The other shock was the prices. Sandwiches were all 50 cents each. (laughs) I wouldn't mind visiting this world, whatever. Now, uh, she told me, we knew there were Amish and Mennonite communities in Utah, uh, but these weird cars and those amazing prices, I mean, just then a pleasant... Heavily built man, red-faced, approached the table. I will never forget this moment if I live to be a hundred, unquote. And the woman wrote this down for me. The man said something like, and, and this is what she wrote, Gold midag wat ga ja etten. Now we responded in English, and the guy acted stunned and couldn't understand us. We ended up pointing to the pictures of what we wanted on the menu. What the man said to me, sounded a little bit like Dutch. Now, actually, I sent the words to a Dutch friend of mine shortly thereafter, and according to him, the guy sounded like he was saying simply, good afternoon, what'll you have? (coughs) And, my friend added, W-E-L-K-O-M is how you spell welcome in Dutch. Now, Mennonites do speak a form of low German that resembles Dutch, so these people certainly could have been Mennonites. But I'm not aware of any such community in America that's so isolated that they don't speak English. Even in 1996, that would have been inconceivable. And from the description I was given, these people certainly didn't dress like Mennonites. Anyway, our two friends quickly finished their sandwiches, which seemed entirely normal and quite tasty, she said, and they got ready to leave. The same red-faced man was at the, other, was at the rather odd-looking white metal cash register, she said. And the woman went on. A quote, when my husband handed the guy a $5 bill, he looked back at us in confusion and said something like, and she wrote this down too, Dune or done, we dit net acceptern. And seeming annoyed, he tapped his finger on the counter. We were getting frightened at this point. My husband fished around in his pocket, and I dug through my pocketbook, and we came up with eight quarters. Uh, the man didn't seem pleased, and he looked at them curiously, but he accepted them as payment. And after that, we beat a hasty retreat. Now, they were even more shaken up when they got outside and saw a crowd gathered around their van, looking through the windows and touching it. People were pointing to the license plates. That was it. We were out of there, the woman told me. People backed off. The couple got into the van and drove slowly away. Quote, we didn't want to get arrested for speeding. God only knows what their local jail would have been like. The dirt road back to Route 6, she said, seemed longer than they remembered, but they finally made it to Cedar City, Utah, uh, where they stayed the night. They were still shaken up the next day when, in the hotel lobby, they got talking with a man who turned out to be a well-versed fellow on Utah tourism in general and the state's ghost towns in particular. When they started to tell him, almost reluctantly, about what they had been gone through the previous day, He looked at them patiently and explained that they couldn't have been in Woodard. There hadn't been a living soul there for going on 50 years. And there were no buildings left either. In fact, there was no Woodard. To me, the woman continued, we were either crazy or we left this world.
She didn't seem crazy to me, and I told her so. But she and her husband certainly could have stumbled across one of the ever-present boundaries of a parallel world, maybe. One where Woodard, Utah is still a prosperous town with good sandwiches, really weird cars, and people who speak Dutch. Then what do you think? That sounds like the Twilight Zone. Boy, it sure did to me. This Again, you know, you learn a lot from the people you encounter in these cases. You can tell, and you're very good at it, you're the best judge of character I know. You can tell when somebody's, uh, you know, tossing the bovine fecal matter at you or not, you know, and you can always tell whether someone is honest and this sort of thing. And uh, this woman struck me as extremely honest and, and really frightened. And this is years later, and she was really, well, not years later, it was, you know, it was at least almost a year later, and she was really frightened by this experience. That'd be frightening, too. That's like... Well, don't some, look now. We may be, you know, who knows what we're going to run into. No, it's like you're trying to pay for stuff, and they don't have that kind of currency, so, like, you'd be charged like a dine and dash kind of thing. And well, all I could think of was that story. There were, there were the, the, the four people. They were two married couples who were friends, and they were traveling together in Scotland. They were from England. And uh, you remember they encountered, um, and actually had spoken to them personally about this, and they, were, they were related the story. It has been in the literature of the uh, paranormal for a while. And I believe it was in the late 60s, and they simply were taking a walk, and they came over the crest of a hill and went down and saw this lovely village. And they went down in there, and they said, my gosh, boy, things certainly haven't changed much around here in the past few hundred years. You've got, you know, people were driving sheep up the street. And I've been in a town like that in England. I mean, that's very rare, but they had market day, and people would come in with their cattle and you know, all this sort of thing. And they stopped at a lovely little inn. And they had, uh, at the time, they still had, oh, you know, I guess they have uh, one-pound coins. And they had to pay with that because the person didn't recognize the paper money. And it was just like this. They got all kinds of strange looks. And uh, the food was very good, and they couldn't believe the prices. And they left, and they they came back uh, two days later, and the town was not there. There was nothing. So, I mean, this is the sort of thing that... That people run into all the time. And again, if, if it's a guy in back of you who's uh, tailgating you and then disappears, or somebody who uh, is, uh, you just pass on the street and turn around, they're not there. You know, we forget that sort of thing. But a town that is itself a ghost, apparently, or a neighborhood, yeah. that's, that's the sort of thing that we, we um, remember. Yeah, well, or don't remember because it doesn't exist. Yeah, well, anyway, these people never forgot this. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a commercial break uh, here on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON, 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley and onworldwide.com. We'll be right back with more really strange stories of places that are themselves ghosts. Stay with us. Hi, everyone. This is Jen Tolliker, president and founder of Athena's Home Novelties and Heavenly Goddess Spa Parties. If your life isn't everything you want it to be, join us each Friday afternoon for the Goddess Power Hour radio program. Each week, I'll present people and ideas which will inspire you and empower you to change your life for the better, for yourself and for your family. Join us Fridays at 3 p.m. right here on Owen Radio, the positive place. Owen Radio! Amigos, well, you asked for me and now you've got me. Now you can hear me, Vic Ramos, and my friends on my bilingual show Saturday mornings from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. In addition to my Friday night show. Can you believe it? It's like Saturday morning cartoons all over again. Wake up and tune in! And we are back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno this evening on onworldwide.com. 
and WOON 12:40 a.m. and we're talking about places that are not haunted necessarily but are themselves phantoms. People see them one minute and they're gone the next or one day and gone the next and it really spooks people out to say the least. Well, there are a couple of cases that I was not personally involved with, but I thought I would they they do make the point and I thought I would recount them anyway. Uh, there was one case that's, that's very well known and very well attested. And let me just preface this by saying that Ben and I have, I learned long ago, and I think Ben would agree, that we've learned to listen to children. I think the greatest mistake a parent can make is not to listen to a child. And I think we're, we're, we're talking about doing a show for parents on what to do if your child is uh, seeing things or hearing things or is reporting uh, odd phenomena in your house and this sort of thing, and what to take seriously and how to deal with it. And uh, this uh, case then has to do with a small boy in Hanley, Staffordshire in England, in the Midlands, uh, part of the, that lovely country. And uh, he was given a severe um, uh, reprimand by a schoolmaster for some minor misdemeanor, and uh, this goes back a few years, and was very upset, about seven years old, very sensitive guy. So um, he uh, ran out of the school, uh, and instead of uh, going to school in the afternoon, uh, that day he um, played truant. And he wrote this letter uh, describing what happened to him uh, many years later when he grew up. So I remember even now running along the street, scraping my iron-shod boots on the pavement so as to strike sparks. I used to do that. <laughs> We'd get in trouble with the nuns. Anyway, also stopping to listen to organ music coming from a little church, although the church was empty and locked up. Across the road, uh, at the end of the street, there was, and still is, an archway to a street running at right angles. It led to the backs of the houses and shops. To the left, it was very short, as there were only two, I think, houses, and it was, it, it was terminated in a blank wall. At the other side of the wall, there was a vast area of wasteland. On this particular day, there was a doorway in the wall, and when I went through it, I found myself in a different world a small town with houses nothing like any I had ever seen before. I went along one street, and all the houses were empty. I entered several, but came out again without attempting any exploration. Eventually, I stayed in one of the houses and was going upstairs. I came to a large room looking onto a landscape I had never seen before. The land sloped away to a valley, although I could not see what was at the bottom, and beyond there were low tree-covered hills. Even at that age, I was fascinated by the sun and the stars, and I realized that I was facing east. This was the vision. Uh, what my physical body was doing, I haven't the least idea, and I can't think of one. Most certainly, an adventurous boy of seven would not play truant just to go to sleep. Now, that's, that's the letter that this man wrote later in life. And a couple of questions arise. Was he asleep? Was he dreaming? And you know, a kid ran out of school after getting bagged, and uh, he was all upset. Maybe he lay down in the field, and you know, you could do that in, yeah. in, that, in, in England. You don't necessarily get eaten by bugs if you do that, or get Lyme disease. No, no. Yeah, it's wonder. I love the wonderful country. No mosquitoes, hardly any snakes. It's great. So anyway, this child might have been, but he insisted later on that he was not sleeping, and you can see. A little bit of spiritualism comes in here. He assumes that he was not in his body. Now, we on our show last night with uh, Michael Cremo on CBS, we were talking about uh, some of this. We were supposed to be talking about the ancient archaeology. We got into... Uh, and animals in rocks, but we never got to that. Yeah, we didn't. he didn't know a lot about that. Yeah. Well, anyway, we're talking about... You know, I, I, even during a so-called out-of-the-body experiences, I'm not so, not so sure people, people leave their body. 
and because I think that uh, we are in one parallel world or another, which is just as physical. And again, it's, that's my theory. That seems to be what I've seen in my many years of work. But what what this boy was doing was certainly some sort of time slip or, or slip in, in space as well uh, that brought him to a place he didn't know anything about. Now, there's another in, instance, much more uh, modern in England that occurred, and a lot of we hear a lot of stuff from England because we have a lot of family there and we have a lot of listeners there right in. And this particular fellow was going out for his his jog, and this is in uh, in uh, Devon, actually, uh, not too far from the uh, Exeter, which is the major uh, city in Exeter. It's the uh, count in, in Devon. It's the county town, as they call it, like the state capital here would be. And he had gone out into his relatively modern neighborhood, and he went out his front door, and he started to jog down his street. And he kind of was looking down at the ground to make sure he didn't trip over anything, and all of a sudden he looked up again, and the neighborhood was entirely different. The houses were different. The cars were different. He didn't see any people except driving cars. The houses uh, were odd colors and this sort of thing. Everything was very different, and he, he became naturally very frightened, and he kind of just froze in his tracks. He turned back to go toward his, toward his own house, and it wasn't there. He ended up in the local police station, and uh, the police uniforms were different. They didn't. They, they was everyone was speaking English, but they uh, they didn't recognize any form of identification he had. They were ready to kind of throw him in the lockup and call the shrink when uh, he he suddenly said that he passed out. And when he woke up, he was standing back out on the street, exactly where his neighborhood had ended as it were and the new one had kind of begun and he looked around and everything was kind of normal now you, you wonder about these things being subjective experiences well maybe the guy made it up or maybe just you know but his family and I've seen the testimony of this his family testified that he was gone for over one day over 24 hours they didn't know where he was nobody uh, in the town had seen him the police reported he had not been there and so where was he or when was he and that's 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 the question. So that, that was a good story. Well, that's again. I wasn't personally involved in that case, but again, these are well attested by people whom we whom we trust. And there's a little one too, also from from uh, dear old England. And this had to do with a uh, something that that you might not notice. Something that uh, the sort of thing we've been talking about. Something common, the everyday thing that would happen, and you didn't really notice it. But uh, it did uh, stand out in the mind of this particular person as a possible case of what we've been talking about. Uh, this uh, this came from uh, Holt in Norfolk, the county of Norfolk in England. Uh, while uh, involved in a traffic jam in that town, uh, this particular uh, fellow happened to notice that a nearby uh, laundromat or launderette uh, that had been under construction for some time was now completed and in use by the public. You'd see people kind of going in and out, um, and uh, things were hopping in there. People were using the washers and dryers and this sort of thing. A lot of cars parked in front. And he reported this to his wife on his return home, uh, but when they both took the laundry there the next day, or actually it wasn't even the next day, it was later in that day, they were puzzled to find that she had made the journey, that they had made the journey in vain. Uh, the launderette uh, though seen in its completed and bustling state by her husband uh, some hours later, uh, was actually still unfinished. Full of dust, workmen, uh, as it had been for several months, and it was six weeks after this incident that the place was actually open to the public uh, for use. Uh, therefore, the Norfolk uh, gentleman had seen the completed shop several weeks ahead of our own moment in time, apparently. Now the question is, what is time? Well, time is relative. Well, that's it. Well, that's what Einstein seemed to prove. 
And it doesn't even, really, it doesn't even seem to exist in any objective way. It's more of a function of our consciousness. And depending how much of our consciousness is in play, that's what seems to be the case with how time works. They talk about psychological time. In other words, time that is really... Has, you know, you know, I'm always saying time flies when you're having fun yeah. and it drags when you're not well it's psychological time it really does seem to go slower and uh, our good friend uh, Dierlon the author of uh, the um, novel about the Doomsday Prophecy of 2012 Heaven's Wave says that astronomically speaking and in every sense of science time actually is speeding up literally because of the electromagnetic phenomena that are going on around uh, in the galactic vicinity at this point and may have some something uh, interesting to show us in 2012. So yeah. But again, these things are all um, questionable and, and who knows what's going on. So, uh, we're in our second half hour here and uh, those are all... If anybody else has any stories like that, we'd love to hear about it. Ben or Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com or our numbers, of course, 766-1240 in, uh, for the 401 area code or from anywhere in the country. Uh, 800-449-1240. So uh, let's move on to some paranormal news. And, of course, the big news this week has been the, the birds. The birds, the bird die-off in Arkansas and all sorts of news of other die-offs of fish and birds in other parts of the United States and in other parts of the world. And nobody can figure out what happened to these birds. Now the number is up to about 5,000. Uh, birds supposedly falling out of the sky in Arkansas, uh, stone dead. And that's uh, that was... People were seeing them everywhere, and the reports were undeniable. Now, um, I have the greatest respect for science, so it has been, but there are some scientists who I at times will wonder about. Now, we mentioned on the show last night, we began to talk about this, that one of the, the main explanations of for this phenomenon, of all these birds falling out of the sky, was fireworks on New Year's Eve. Now, how many fireworks they had in BB, Arkansas on New Year's Eve, I don't know. Well, the thing is, birds don't fly at night, so... Well, that's exactly right, yeah. You know, that unless, makes even less sense. Well, sometimes they do when they're migrating, but if, if, if it's January, they would have migrated by now, even in Alabama, and I don't think that's, that's an issue. And, but, of course, it raises the question, you know, between Canada Day on July 1st and U.S. Independence Day on July 4th, every bird in North America would be dead by July 5th if this... If this theory held any water, I just think you know they reach and reach and reach. And I've been involved in cases that have been in the news, paranormal cases, and some some of the the explanations by the police and the alleged scientists are so silly that they're far harder to believe than the actual facts of the case. Yeah. In the Bridgeport case of 1974, uh, the police wanted to cl- the, the the city of Bridgeport was completely tied up with traffic. There were thousands of people outside this house. They needed to clear things up. And, and they started to say things like uh, the candy I had gone out and bought for pe- so we could have something to eat it had been drugged. Or that Anne Lorraine Warren, whom I was working with on this case, uh, caused the events from their own house several towns away by witchcraft. I mean, talk about nonsense. I mean, the simple facts of the case, it was what it was, and they were making up all these crazy stories. So you never know what they're going to come up with to explain these things. Other uh, explanations have been uh, more interesting. Uh, ben and I have certain sources of information. People feed us things that they believe are true and that we trust some of these sources. One was that when the birds hit the ground, they had already been dead. Uh, that seems to be beyond doubt. But that the, their inner organs were, to some degree, liquefied or pulverized. And this is very interesting because it means that one explanation for that would be either they hit 
at great speed a solid object in the sky that nobody else seems to have seen, or a huge electromagnetic pulse. Uh, same with the fish. The same with the fish, yeah. Same thing with the fish. And, they have, and, of course, and now our good friend uh, Linda Bolton Howe has been reporting this uh, this same finding on earthfiles.com. It's a site you should check out. Really, really interesting stuff. Linda is a, uh, one of the leading, uh, and certainly an Emmy Award winning uh, journalist who follows science news and a lot of the paranormal things that come up. She will also report and investigate that. Also, so, a lot of... Double rainbows were appearing in California. Yeah, tell us about the double rainbows. I, I don't, I'm not. Up well, I heard about it from my girlfriend's mother, uh-huh. who was saying that her friend was like, "Oh, look at all these rainbows!" and we're sending pictures of these double rainbows that were appearing like all over California. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't have no clue what that says, but that definitely. Like, I'm not a scientist or anything. Yeah. But that I don't know. That kind of like shows electromagnetic activity. Well, actually, now that you mention it, I've heard that Europe too. In Europe? Now that you may, yeah, a lot of double rainbows. I know our, our, one of our cousins in Devon was was telling me that, now that I think of it. I'd forgotten all about that. Oh, yeah, see? Yeah, cool. Jog right. your memory a little bit. Yes, indeed. You know, at my age, I could use a little jogging now and then. So, in any case, here we are. A lot of strange things going on. So, let's... Um, uh, oh, of course, who, who was... Um, I think Michio Kaku, who was a, a well-known... American scientist, and we love his hair, don't we? Oh, yeah, he has yeah. awesome hair. Yeah, he uh, has his own radio show, uh, syndicated uh, here and there, and he he was, again, making up sort of excuses. And I love the guy, but and, but he won't come on our show. I just We've tried to get him several times, and most of the big names love to be on our show. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, he, uh, he, he sort of reminds me of Bill Nye the Denial guy. Bill know. Nye the Denial yeah, guy. Yeah, and he yeah. just he just doesn't... Um, doesn't want to. Doesn't want to commit. Anyway, so that that's the big news this week. If anybody has any thoughts on that, again, drop us a line behindtheparanormal.com, Paul or Ben at behindtheparanormal.com. Okay, now uh, a lot of people are following with bated breath our really really strange case in Connecticut that we have called Connecticut Skinwalker Ranch, and the Skinwalker Ranch just is in Utah, our producer's favorite state. And a lot of strange things happen there that are really well beyond anything you usually hear. Holes opening in midair and strange creatures coming out. Holes opening in the sky. And this is witnessed by scientists, uh, supposedly. And UFOs coming through. All, uh, uh, huge herds of cattle being transported instantly from one place to another. You name it, it goes on there. Uh, now, this isn't quite as dramatic in Connecticut. However, uh, we have been investigating that case for about five years now, and we've done the preliminary filming for our proposed television show uh, at that site already. It does seem to be spreading out into the area. There seems to be a triangle of activity. Uh, triangles somehow seem to be uh, important in the paranormal. And there's also a very interesting video that has been posted now on uh, NewEnglandGhosts.com, our main site, and there was a link to it from our Facebook page as well. As a matter of fact, you can see it on our Facebook page for BehindTheParanormal.com. And it's a uh, very interesting uh, video there. That, and we were outside uh, before the filming started, and we had our own infrared camera. It was at night. And the little boy had told us, the little boy in the house had told us that his invisible friend Ashwar was in this tree at the time. And sure enough, when we uh, looked at the video, you can see some kind of living thing uh, of a typical ghostly color, I suppose, almost like an arm unfolding. Uh, check it out for yourself and see. And uh, this, it's a very short video, mainly because I pulled away from the tree at the time because we didn't see anything with the naked eye. But this, there was apparently something in that tree, and uh, it was on that video. So uh, here is 
something interesting that we received uh, uh, almost daily reports from this case. And um, apparently the little boy came out with some more information about Ashworth that he had not stated before. Uh, if you want to start from there, Ben. The, um, apparently the daughter of the woman in the house, who was the mother of the child, had got, they, they were driving many years ago at a certain place, uh, and they got to a certain point on a certain road, and out came all the stories from the daughter. And in the same place, on the same road, out comes this story from this three-year-old child. Okay. They were have, having a light conversation about Christmas and his toys, and he suddenly became very serious, and a story came out. She called me from her cell phone and was very upset. I was amazed when she told me where he began to talk to her. It was on the same road in the same spot where she had done the same thing over 35 years ago. The words in quotes are words he never used as far as we know. And he has never been anywhere without at least one of us present. <clears throat> so she goes on to say, He told her that it was time to tell her about Ashwar. This is the invisible friend. She was 12. A few years ago, she, and that's in quotes, and <clears throat> she and her mother were driving a, quote, silver two-door, quote, car on a, quote, country road when an animal, quote, darted out in front of them. Uh, he made a motion with his hands. Ashwar's mother, quote, swerved and hit a tree, then, in quotes, splitting the car in two. The fire, quote, department went to the scene of the accident, unquote, and there was a, quote, gas all over the road. Or there was, quote, gas all over the road. Okay. And Ashwar was hurt really bad and had blood all over her face. That's also in quotes. And her, quote, left arm was broken, and she immediately went and... Yeah, she immediately went up and was made, made an upward gest gesture with his hands and went into a tree. She watched, and they had to cut off the top of, of her mommy and was taken to the hospital, and she died about two hours later. She had a dress on, too. When Dale was in the dark and worried about having a home, Ashwar came to him and took him in her arms and told him that he would be okay. She had a little, quote, tiny wings on her on her sides and she carried him quote home and then he lived that he lived here so i always stop right there because right. that's a lot to digest yeah so we apparently have this three-year-old child talking about an accident in which his invisible friend was didn't say whether she was killed or not but went up into a tree fire department came cut off the top of the car to get her mother out her mother died and then when the, this is i find this most interesting when when the boy himself again this three-year-old child reporting this was quote in the dark Ashwar came wearing wings and carried him home to where he lives today. Now, there are many ways to interpret this. From our point of view, again, there is always the question, what happens to your, your consciousness or your mind when you are, shall we say, between bodies? See, in my point of view, you're, in, you're never between bodies because it's all one you in all these different worlds. Bodies, maybe, you might be on other planets you could be any all possibilities exist in quantum mechanics but this is a very very interesting 
interpretation and review by this by this child. And we're going to continue to work with this, and uh, we'll continue to report to you on on, uh, on what we find uh, with this story because this is a very interesting child. And we did get the the, the, <laughs> the tree Ashwar was in. We got that very interesting critter uh, in there. So again, check out that uh, that video at uh, on our Facebook page behind theparanormal.com or at the uh, newenglandghosts.com website. Uh, is there more there, Ben? Yes, there is. Okay. Um, and Dale went on to say, at at night, uh, sorry, what? Don't mention his name. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, at night, Ashwar comes to him in a dream, quote unquote, and wants to play with him. He yells, "Stop!" because he because he's not well, not because he is afraid, but because he is sleepy. Sometimes her mommy comes too, and she is wearing a dress, but she doesn't have a face. And my daughter has mentioned repeatedly that. The son yelled, yelled, stop it, and stop during the night. We knew something was bothering him, but never, but he never articulated what. Uh, we thought you may be interested in hearing what his first serious words on this sub- subject. And Very much so. All that. Very much so. Well, the reason I read this tonight is because uh, we both know uh, this boy. And as a matter of fact, he, um, he, he said Ben was his best friend. Uh, I was Uncle Eno, he called me, right? And he, he has described Ashwar and her mother to us, and it, it, it does, it sounds to me more, they are of a different people than we are. They sound humanoid rather than strictly human in this sense. And of course people say, well, this is a classic ghost story, and you're reading into it because your own, your own theories, Paul. Well, maybe I am. But again, this is what we find. It doesn't sound like a classic ghost story at all. Well, kind no, probably, of. Well, you, you can interpret it that way, and many of our guests would. However, I think we're, we're dealing with something very interesting here. And in this house, we have had the assistance of other species. One individual in particular, from a very gentle humanoid species, uh, on, the, on this grand central station of the paranormal, which is this house. Many worlds, many, many species uh, seem to uh, intersect and interact in this house, many of whom are very aware of what's happening and uh, are very pleased to work with us. So uh, as a result, uh, we will continue to work on this case. It's, uh, we, at this point, seems to be the first episode in our planned television show, if we ever get there. And uh, we'll, the, so everybody will be able to see some of the scenes where we've been describing here. So in any case, there we are. That's, that's that case. Uh, humanoids, perhaps, rather than, than humans. Okay, I guess we do have a little bit of time to get to an email or two here. we got, okay, ten minutes. Uh, here is one... A little uh, email. It's like a, yes, it's like a novel. I know, some of these things. You know, it's tough to get to the... We can spend whole shows on some of these emails. Okay, here is, here is one, and uh, this is from uh, Tracy in New Jersey. Now, I've been in touch with Tracy on this... Uh, as uh, off the air, and uh, but I did want to share this with everyone. Ben, Kidoki. So Tracy writes to us. Hello, we need your help quickly. Murray Silva sent us to you when I told him about his spirit. Now, Murray Silva. Let me just say, Murray Silva is a very good friend of ours. Has been a guest, one of our most popular guests. So good. Okay, uh, when I told him about a spirit that needs to cross over, a friend of mine communicates with spirits using divining rods. I don't know what those are. Uh, one came through and said that his daughter was murdered by her husband, and he is holding her spirit hostage, and she can't cross over. 
She is very weak and running out of time, as this happened over 100 years ago in Savannah. My friend would like to cross her over, but I am concerned that this may be more difficult than usual, since the husband's spirit is very strong and angry. Do you have any suggestions? We are heading to Savannah on January 10th, so if you can help, it must be soon. Thank you. So presumably they're there today or tomorrow. All right. Now... This, you have to admit, is a classic ghost story. Yeah. All right. Now, of course, I took one look at this, and I, I do tend to get a little bit impatient with people, and I shouldn't do that, because people don't know any better. Now, here we have the, the whole idea of the spirits and the whole business of, you know, you die and your spirit separates from your body and you become a ghost. Well, I, I, I think that's nonsense. I think that's the way folklore has interpreted it, because that's the best we know. We, that's the best we can do. But if you look at science and theology and a number of other things there, we can do much better. So anyway, uh, I did talk with uh, Tracy here, and, and I explained, well, in my opinion, I don't think you're dealing with any of this. First of all, why do you believe this? Who told you this? And, of course, there was a very sensitive friend. Uh, of course, she says, a friend of mine communicates with spirits. Now, she's probably the salt of the earth, wonderful person. But he, he hears this and sees this and is aware of this out of this ancient, or I should say 19th century spiritualist point of view, which I think really limits our ability to help people. And they're not ghosts, they're people. And this is the thing, and these parallel worlds, and, and we, just, we, we just think it's some spirit world, and it's two-dimensional thinking, and I just, I just am not comfortable with it. So I wrote a big, long uh, letter to Tracy here trying to explain that, that what you're probably dealing with here is, if it's true, could be some sort of parasite involvement, negative non-human entities who feed upon things like this. And uh, that uh, had, had not been... Um, presented apparently to her, at least not in that way. And the whole idea of uh, the daughter was murdered by her husband who was holding her spirit hostage and she did not cross over all good old quaint 19th century spiritualist terms. First of all, I've never seen a situation where one ghost can hold another hostage. What's happening, in my opinion, is in, in a parallel world where it still is the 1890s, and just as real, just as physical as our world, there is a lot of abuse going on here. And how do you deal with that? Well, you don't deal with it in 19th century spiritualist terms. What I suggested was that these people get together, they stand in solidarity, and they pray, and they send out compassion and love to these brethren of ours in this neighboring world. I believe we have to get to the idea and, and to become conscious of the idea that we can help each other, not only you know, our neighbors who live in houses on our street, but in our neighbors in parallel realities. Because we're all in the same boat. These are not closed systems. These are not separate worlds in the, in the, in the sense that you see it in Hollywood. We're all in this together. And I think it's a beautiful and a sacred thing when this occurs. But if you don't understand it in the proper way, if you don't realize that it's not, you know, ghosts and spirits, uh, I think that that really limits your ability to be as effective as you can in these situations. So it happened over 100 years ago in Savannah, and I was told uh, privately that, uh, you know, in, in private correspondence here, that uh, Marie Silver, our good friend, had checked on these, these things, and that these people did exist in Savannah 100 years ago, and that uh, there had been some problems and this sort of thing. But so what? 
very often we find these these events occur, and they never occurred in our particular reality, or somebody's or some parasite is lying about it. It doesn't make any difference that these people really existed. And the woman asked me, "Well, would parasites be able to know this happened?" I said, "Sure, they do. All this information is out there and available." Now, I'm not saying parasites go to City Hall and look up town records and stuff. It's like the internet; everything is available. Yeah, uh, these are when 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 we encounter entities in worlds uh, that are parallel to ours. Very often, they are very aware of other worlds, not like us. We are too, but we don't know how to deal with it. We call it uh, ghosts and crossing over and stuff. So I think what we're dealing with here is something very real, very three and four and five dimensional, and that has to be approached as such, not as some kind of you know seance thing or crystal ball thing in a Paris garret in 1888. So anyway, uh, I, I asked Tracy to take that, and she she kind of took it with a grain of salt. She said, well, she trusts the person, and fine, may, maybe we're wrong, and maybe they're right. I don't know. But what we're trying to do is, is help people in a real way, in real worlds, and not uh, be limited by 19th century thinking. Anyway, that's my two cents on it. Maybe you disagree. All right. So just uh, before we uh, end tonight, I wanted to uh, mention another case that brings us back to our original subject, which was uh, the uh, ghostly appearances, as it were, of buildings and things like this. And Ben mentioned this early on. Uh, there was a recent email from a listener uh, who learned to appreciate the multiverse idea, and that's why he wrote to us. He said, you talk about the multiverse, and I've really experienced this in a way that hit him between the eyes. And uh, as you mentioned, Ben, uh, this is a fellow who had driven past a certain red house almost every day for years. Was he in Florida? I don't have the email. I don't remember. It was somewhere down south. Uh, And then one day he drove by it, and it was blue. Okay. And he said to, uh, he spoke to the owner, whom he knew, and the guy gave him a funny look and said the house had been blue for years. (laughs) So there you go. Little slips in space time. All right. So uh, we either chalk it up to one of those things or think we're going nuts so we're dealing with the multiverse anyway uh so we've uh, dealt with that tonight and the bird die-offs and i guess we can do our closing man so um, check check out our website of course behind the paranormal.com future guests past guests and uh, lots and lots and lots over 200 podcasts so many thanks to our producer craig our good friend craig pelletier and we'll see you right back here next monday january 17th on onworldwide.com and won 1240 a.m 6 p.m eastern 3 pacific our guest will be new york times best-selling author steve alton and the subject will be his newest book 2012 the end of days I might put a question mark after that. Right. All right. So on our CBS Sunday edition on January 16th in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, and online at www.newskyradio.com, we'll welcome British UFO expert Nigel Kerner for a deeper look at gray aliens. And the trouble they can cause. All right. Again, check out our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, for details. And before we give you our quote, I wanted to mention something about Nigel Uh, Nigel Kerner is a very interesting British author, and when he was uh, with us last time, he, um, here's this, uh, last time, he was, um, he kind of threw us for a loop here with this idea that gray aliens are actually robots? What? uh, That's essentially what he he said. I don't remember. Robotic creatures who are um, trying to essentially steal our souls. Oh yeah, that's like, it's yeah. Like, yeah, like the Steelers. And there were two scientists on with them who agreed, and we found it extremely interesting. So uh, it, I don't know if the other scientists are going to be out with them, but we're going we're to have a very interesting show then, and we're going to talk about the uh, the gray problem. 
And gray aliens, for those who don't know, are the most commonly seen little guys who supposedly interact with people uh, during abductions and when flying saucers, if you will, kind of land. Now, anyway, we're going to end tonight uh, anticipating that show with a quote from the great New England author Ralph Waldo Emerson. God offers to every mind its choice between truth and rest. Take which one you please. You can't have both. Uh, oh. <laughs> okay. Um, so, thanks for sailing with us on our great cosmic journey. And we'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul.